0: So we are in the middle of a series called Stranger Things, and perhaps you've heard of the show on Netflix. It's a really big hit. They just released season three this summer. Maybe some of you have seen all three seasons. Anyone seen the show in here? Anyone seen maybe one episode or two? Anyone watch all three seasons of it? Anybody? Okay. And some of you are like, I've not seen a single episode of it. So just to give you an idea today, you don't need to know anything about the show to understand what we're talking about. But the show is based on, it's based in the 80s, so there's a lot of nostalgia. If you remember the 80s, a lot of the things that happened then. It's based on some preteens and some teenagers, the relationships. But what really makes the show interesting are some of the really strange things that happen there for the title, Stranger Things. Some supernatural things. There's monsters. People are controlling things and moving things with their mind, which would be a really great superpower to have, especially if you have kids. Wouldn't it be great? Just move them right back to where you need them to be. But anyway, that's what happens in the show. That'll probably happen in the Stranger Things, like season 13, when they're all grown up and they have kids. looking forward to see what they do with those superpowers then. But anyway, Stranger Things, we're talking about that. And for us, we're not talking about the stories from the Netflix show, but we're talking about some really strange stories from the Bible. Because if we're honest, sometimes we read these stories, and I don't know if you're like me, I read it and I'm like, okay, God, what on earth does that have to do with me? How can I possibly apply this incredibly strange story to my life right here, right now? And that's what we've been doing. And I'm really excited about the story that we're going to be sharing today, and we've been in this several weeks, and I've really enjoyed this series, and we've got some good feedback from some of you that you've enjoyed it, and it's just been a really fun series, and if you've missed any of it, you can go online or on the podcast and listen to it, get caught up. It's just been really great. And as I was preparing this week, I was thinking about all of the decisions that we have to make on a daily basis, right? And I think about the things that we have to decide on, and sometimes they're a really big deal, and sometimes they're not such a big deal. But I know for me, sometimes, you know, I think about the decisions that I know I should make, and it should be the obvious choice, but then there's the choice that you end up going with, right? Like, say, for instance, I don't know food, right? I know what is good for me, and I know what is healthy, but on the other hand, I know what's delicious, right? And so we want to go with the delicious option instead of what is healthy. You you know the choice to make, but just because the right choice presents itself doesn't mean that you make the right choice. Why? Because food's delicious. Like, thank you, God. We'll talk to him someday about that. Why didn't you make the things with no calories taste like sugar? I don't know. I don't know Answer to that. But sometimes it's tough to make the right decision. Or I don't know about you, but when it comes to picking the right checkout line at the store, I have a gift for picking the wrong line. I don't know if any of you are like this, but I'm like, I'm strategic about it, right? You're eyeing up everyone's cart, you're seeing who's in there, you're seeing that you know that one person's gonna take nine hours to pay with a personal check. So you're like, I'm not getting in that line, right? And so whatever, you're just you're just scanning it, trying to figure it out. I get in the best one, shortest line, right? And it never fails, it seems like everyone else gets through the line and you're still standing there waiting to get to the checkout line. Is it just me? I mean, maybe you know how to get to the checkout line. You can give me some pointers on how to pick the right one. And I even try to be like, okay, I'm going to pick this one. So I know that one will be longer. And so then I'll pick the one that I don't think will go. And then it still ends up being long. you just, you can't win. And the worst part now is, like, at drive-thrus, now they give you, like, this anxiety-induced decision of picking out which order line you're going to go through, right? It's like, now I have to not only decide at the checkout register, I have to make a decision which line to get in. And it never fails when you get up there. You're always, like, hoping that you order and that you could cut the car off that was still ordering. You're like, that's right. They're getting six more Happy Meals, baby. I'm squeaking one car ahead of them, right? Unless it's Chick-fil-A, because then they have you out there in 30 seconds flat. It doesn't even matter what line you're in, right? You could be, like, 25 people deep Chick-fil-A's. Put me your own chicken in the car, you're gone. It's just, they've got it figured out. But we have to make decisions all the time. And sometimes it's frivolous decisions like that, but many times it's really difficult, tough decisions or things that aren't so frivolous but really have a really profound impact on our life. Something that I've realized is that as I've got older, I've tried to embrace wisdom more and make wiser choices. Now, age does not equal wisdom, and you know this to be true because some of us know some people who would be even considered senior citizens and really haven't grasped the wisdom concept. Wisdom doesn't come with age. Wisdom is something that you've got to seek out, and so for me, I look back at some of the decisions I made when I was younger, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. I am so thankful that social media did not exist when I was a teenager and even a young adult. I'm so thankful that there is not a catalog history that people can go back and look at some of the horrible decisions that I made when I was a young man. I think I was actually this week, I was telling some guys this morning, talking about how I quit my first job at Best Buy and the letter that I wrote my supervisor. I cringe thinking about the passive-aggressive letter that I wrote to quit. You know, it was like mic drop out of Best Buy. Like, they were like, oh, wow, the 17-year-old quitter was so hurt by this letter, right? I'm like, I'm going to stick it to him, right? I think about it, and I just cringe. I actually get embarrassed thinking, oh, my gosh. I was in Best Buy a couple, like, like last week, the same store that I worked at when I was a teenager and just all of that came flooding back like what a terrible decision man I was just so immature no wisdom there and I think and I'm just so glad that I didn't have Facebook to like post that on there right like post a screenshot of, here's the picture here on that here's the letter I'm leaving my manager eat it best buy you know hashtag you stink, whatever. But I don't know. I'm just thankful. And and it's hard to make the right decision. And as we get older, hopefully we use wisdom. But something that we recognize is that we all have a free will to choose. And if you have kids, you know how especially true this is. You don't truly appreciate free will and how hard it is to make the right decision until you have kids of your own, and then they start making their own decisions, and we want them to do the right thing, and it doesn't matter how much you will them to do the right thing, they're going to do what they want to do, right? Because they have their own free will, and when I, even in my own kids, I can see this, and, you know, especially, you know, as your kids get older, you know, our oldest is going to be 11, you know, you're trying to, you know, let, let the leash out a little bit, which is a terrible saying, right? let the leash out, like our kids are on a leash or something. We're giving them more leash. You're like, what does that mean? Anyway, we don't have our kids chained up. Don't worry. So, you know, but we try to give them a little more freedom to exercise, making right choices. But when they're young, you know, you just pretty much have to control everything. And I don't know if you've ever experienced when a child, our two-year-old just turned three and she gets this look in her eye And she's gonna do something that you know is wrong, she knows is wrong, and she's gonna do it. You know what I'm talking about? And she just makes this eye contact with you, and it's like just like this blank stare face, like, I'm gonna do it what are you going to do about it? I'm going to do it. And just whack, you know, knocks the whole cup over the plate of food, throws it on the ground, smacks her sister, whatever it is, right? And you just get this look in their face. They're like, I'm just going to do it. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, I just did it. Just knock the water on the ground. What are you going to do? It's just, I don't know. They just learn early that power they have to make decisions. And obviously it's not the right decision. The trouble you run into as a parent is when your kid does something really wrong and it's hilarious. Where does that leave you, right? Where does it leave you? You're laughing behind their back, and then you're having to punish them, right? So it's just—it's true. I think about that with my parents often. Some of the things I had to do, I'm like, "Come on!" They had to laugh about some of it. I, some of it, they—it wasn't so funny. But we're all stuck with decisions that we have to make. It's a daily part of life, and I'm really excited about this story and talking about somebody who had to make a decision. And honestly, this may be the strangest story that we have tackled yet in this series. This is this is. This is up there with the strange stuff, right? This one's so strange that it's usually relegated to like cutesy children's ministry time, right? Where they like do like cartoonish stuff with it because it's just so out there. You know, like stories just get pretty extreme. Like Noah's Ark, where like, we don't know what to do with that. So let's just like make kids songs about it and cute little coloring pages. But how do we teach this to adults? The Lord said to Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody." Anyone remember it? Come on. Yeah, you know it. You know, we're not talking about Noah's Ark, but I wish I was because we could sing that song. Anyway. Build it out of okay, so we're sad. So we're gonna talk about this story. Before I tell you the story, I've got to give you some history and set this up. The story takes book place in the book of numbers. It's always a good Sunday when you get a unplanned children's song out of Brian. But we're gonna put we're gonna talk about this story in the book of Numbers, and I've gotta set this story up for you. And so Here we find ourselves in the story of the Bible where God's people had been living in Egypt and things were first good for them in Egypt, but then things turned really wrong for them. They get a new Pharaoh. He puts them into slavery, hard labor, years and years of this, generations of it. And then God is finally going to hear the cries of his people and he sets them free. And so maybe you've heard this guy named Moses and Moses comes in and he sets, he leads the people into freedom. Maybe you've heard some of the stories. This is where some really amazing stories where the Red Sea splits, right? So they could get across that Pharaoh's chasing him and the Red Sea opens up and all of God's people cross across the, the Red Sea together for safety and so this is where we're at a little bit after that in the story. So God's promised them that there's some land that they're going to go to, some really prime real estate that God is giving them. He's like, this is where you're gonna go. Matter of fact, it's so prime, it's flowing with milk and honey. Now, if you see that on a real estate listing, you put an offer in on that house but this is what he told them, milk and honey, it's going going to be amazing. This is going to be the spot that I have given you. But the problem is, to get there, they've got to go through all these other people's land, all these other people's kingdom, right? So God's telling you, He's going to give you this house, but before you do, you've got to cross through everyone else's backyard to get there, right? And everyone's saying, Get off my lawn to get there. And so this is where they find themselves. They get to the first kingdom. Hey, can we have passage? We just want to get through here. Um, and, you know, they, they say no, because this wasn't like a group of six or seven people. This is like tens of thousands of people. You know, they're like, You're going to kill the grass. You're going to tread right through here. There's going to be a rust, a, you know, a rut here. I'm going to have to get an excavator to fix this? Just no. You're going to have to go around, find a different path to get there. So they're like, okay, well, we're coming anyway. Thanks, but no thanks. We're going to come through your land. And so they come through. They try to fight them. They're like, come at me, bro. They fight them. They win, and God's people win. And so they're like, yep, we just made it through, and now this is ours. Thank you very much. Your yard is my yard. And so they come through, and they're not quite to where they need to be yet. So they get to the next kingdom. This king, Balak, knows everything that just happened, and he's freaking out. Because he doesn't want these people coming through his land either. But he knows if he tells them no, that they're going to fight him. And he probably knows he's going to lose. Why? Because they're God's people and they have God's favor. And God's like, I mean, come on. If you hear stories of God splitting open the sea for these people to walk, does it feel like anything that you have to throw at them is going to work? Here comes my spear. And it's like, like Matrix style just flies out of their face. Like God is for these people, right? And so here's where their story picks up. This King like he's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. There's this guy named Balaam, and so Balaam is a very interesting character. Not necessarily a man of God. He would be kind of like I don't know, like a, a magician or a soothsayer, someone who you know was like in the spirit world type thing. So not necessarily a man of God. And so Balak says, "Hey, go find Balaam." And we're going to pay him to curse God's people so that they can't make it through here. And so that's what happens in this story. God, he sends to Balaam, he sends him all this money, sends really important people and says, hey, I need you to come curse God's people for us. So what does he do, which is really interesting. He asks God about it. He says, God, can I go with these people and, and curse them? And God answers right away without hesitation. Nope, don't go. Because these people can only be blessed. They can't be cursed. So Balaam goes to him and says, hey, I'm sorry. God said, no, I can't go with you. So just see you later. So they leave, but they don't take no for an answer. They get back to the king and the king's like, take more money, more important people. Matter of fact, tell him whatever he wants, it's his, but I need him to come do this for me. He's got to curse God's people. So they come to him again and God's already told him no, but what does he do? He's like, oh. Oh that's a whole lot of money. Those are some very important people. Well, let me just pray and ask God one more time. Maybe he'll change his mind because that's a whole lot of cash, right? So he prays, asks God again. God's like, I told you no the first time. They can only be blessed. They can't be cursed. But since they're here, go ahead. Go ahead with them. So this is where we pick up the story where God said no. Then he says, all right, fine, go with them. But they can only be blessed. You can't curse them. So we pick up the story in Numbers 22, starting in verse 21. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back Onto the road. So, this is a pretty strange story, right? He's off going when God's like, okay, fine, go do it. But then God's angry with them, sends this angel that only, of course, the donkey can see. So, the donkey sees this thing, is like, ha, I'm out of here, right? I mean, which I would probably run too. If you saw an angel with a sword, you'd probably, you know, get the heck out of there. But that's what happens. No one else can see it. The story continues in verse 24. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a place where the road was narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by, and it crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord went further down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam, and in a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. And we'll pause here for just a second. Because up to this point, the story is, you know, kind of strange, visible angel. But angels in the Bible, so not super strange, right? This is where it's about to get crazy. It is now about to turn into Shrek, Why? Because we have a talking donkey. And God bless me, when I read this, I can't help but hear Shrek as Balaam in this and donkey as donkey, right? And so I'm not going to read it like that for you, but you have some fun sometime and read it like that. In verse 28, here's what happens. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What? The donkey is going to start talking, and this is what he says. What have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times, it asks Balaam. And then this is what I love. Without missing a beat, they don't say, like, Balaam's shocked or surprised. My donkey can talk. Oh, my gosh. No, he just starts talking right back to him as if nothing is really out of the ordinary here. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. Now, t- tell me this is not where they got the story of Shrek. Come on. You didn't know it was biblical, but it is. This is just straight up here. I wouldn't be surprised if puts in boots runs in here and has a line or two in a second. We'll find out here. So here's what happens in verse 30. The donkey continues. I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. And then verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. And so the story continues here that when he finally sees the angel, he figures out that God probably doesn't really want him to go. He actually admits to the angel, hey, I'm so sorry. I'll turn around and go back right now. I don't have to follow through with this. And the angel's like, nope, you're already here. You're already going, go. But only say what I tell you, what God instructs you to say. And so he gets there. The king's all upset. What took you so long? Didn't you believe me that I was gonna give you whatever you want? And then he's like, I'm here, but I can't curse him. As a matter of fact, Balaam does the unthinkable. He pronounces blessings upon God's people, the exact opposite of what he was paid to do. Can you imagine how the king felt about that? Talk about not getting what you paid for. Hopefully he got a refund. I don't know how that story ends, but it's just a really strange story. And so when we read this, there's a few things that in my mind are like, I've got questions, right? And we've all got those questions, you know, when we get before God someday, we're going to be like, what was that about? And, and this story is definitely one of those because it's, it's just really strange because he is approached. Can you come curse these people? God says no. They come back again. He's got some incentives, and we're not sure exactly why he wanted to ask again, probably because, you know, he's going to be pretty important and paid a lot of money. God says, fine, go. And then after God tells him to go, sends an angel to kill him. Only the donkey can see it. And then the donkey starts talking to him. And then he goes, anyway, it's just such a strange story. And when we read this, I have to ask myself the question, how can we possibly apply this talking donkey story to our life? Well, I've got four things that I think are takeaways for us as I took a look at this passage that I think will help us as we read this understand how we can apply this to our lives today. And the first one is this, that what we want, our desires, they are extremely important to God. So our desires, what we want, they are extremely important to God. See, the Bible teaches us that man is looking at outward appearances, but God is looking at our hearts. He wants to know what makes us tick. And see, we see this in the story with Balaam. See, his desire was to, okay, let me ask God. God said, no, don't go. But what happens? They send some fantastic cash incentives and then the guy can't say, no, well, let me ask God one more time. God already told him no. See, we don't know exactly what Balaam's motives here for wanting to go, but something caused him, probably a lot of scholars think that it would probably be the amount of wealth that he was offered to go do this. Well, let me check with God one more time. But see, this shows to me that our desires, our heart, what makes us tick, it is very important to God. God cares about our motives. matter of fact, one point in the scripture, it says that obedience is more important than the sacrifice. Simply put, the things that we do, it'll simply be like, well, I was going to do all these things for you, God. Or I I went to church, or I, I read the Bible, and it's simply God saying, you know what, all of that is great. I served, I gave, but what was your motive behind it? What has your heart? And we learn this here for the story in Balaam, that what we want, our desires are extremely important to God. The second one is this. God has given us a free will to choose. And see, this is something that a lot of times can trip us up. Because God created us with a free will. We're not puppets. He's not controlling us. Just like we are parents, if you have children, you have your will. But at the end of the day, you can't impose it on your kids. I mean, to some extent, yes. But as they grow older, they get out on their own, they're going to do what they want. And the same thing is true when God created us, designed us. He gave us free will to choose. And why would he do that? Why would God give us free will? Wouldn't it have been just so much easier if you would have just created us and just said, everyone's going to do right. No one's going to do wrong. There's not going to be any sin. My will's going to be their will. They won't have any option. They'll just do the right thing. Because I truly believe that God chose to give us free will because by giving us free will, it brings him so much more glory and honor. Why? Because now we have the choice if we're going to follow him. We have the choice if we're going to love him. We have to choose if we're going to surrender and lay down our life for him. Whereas if he just made us puppets and controlled everything, I mean, how great of a God would he be? Because he just totally controlled us. So God gives us this free will to choose. And see, freedom always comes with a cause. There's always a price tag attached to freedom. We know that in this nation because there's a lot of people, men and women, who have given their life, who have served, who have sacrificed, even to the point to laying down their life to pay for the freedoms that we enjoy as a nation. And see, freedom and free will had a price tag for God as well. Because he gave us the free will and freedom to choose our great, 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 great grandparents. Right, the first man and woman right out of the gate mess it up. Aren't you thankful for that? It's like having the older sibling that messes up first and gets your parents' wrath. Right, and you're like, well, I don't feel so bad because they were a total failure. Right, you just it it just takes all the pressure off us. So from the very beginning, God gives us free will. We mess it up, and so it costs something. God said, you know what? I'll take care of it. I'll pay the price, and He sends Jesus to pay the price for us making the wrong decision. Decisions, even to this day. But God has given us the free will to choose. And I want to follow this point up with something, this thought that I had, and I want to share this with you. Because God has given us a free will, our choices reflect how we really feel about Him. I want to read this one more time. Because God has given us a free will, our choices reflect how we really feel about Him. See, many times in, in Christian circles or even in religion, but especially when it comes to our relationship with God, something can happen. There's this difference between religion and relationship. And see, religion is simply going through the motions. It's simply saying, I have to do this. I'm, I'm obligated. I'm committed to be obedient to God. I have to do these things to so the point where it just simply becomes empty routine. There's no heart. There's no feeling. There's no emotion. There's no motive behind it other than just the legalism is that this is just... Just what I have to do. God said I have to do it, or God's going to be angry if I don't do it. I just have to follow through. See, that is religion. And see, that shows that in our free will, that our motive's probably not in the right place. But see, relationship is a little bit different. And I've said this before. If you've been around me any length of time, you've probably heard me say it many times. It's got to get to the point in our relationship with God that it's got to shift from a have to to a want to. And the difference is, is that when you are in relationship with someone, if you were married or you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you've ever been in a relationship, it shouldn't be out of obligation that I have to love them, that I have to be committed to them, that I love my wife because I, I'm obligated. I should have to want to. It shouldn't be like, well, I'm married because I got to spend some time with the old ball and chain this week because, you know, I'm committed to. I said I do. And so I got to spend time. And no, that's ridiculous. But we do it in our relationship with God all the time. And so God, when we gives us the free will, what we choose to do, our choices, our decisions reflect how we truly feel about God. When it begins to shift from an I have to or I have to go through the motions to I get to, I want to. Because I love God and understand what he has done for me. Because I understand how he's transformed my life. How he's forgiven me. How he's shown me grace. How he's shown me mercy. He's given me what I don't deserve. Not giving me what I do deserve to be punished, but instead freely loves me. And I mess up all the time and I just keep coming back to him and he still forgives me. He still loves me. And when you understand how great God's love is for us, our reaction begins to shift and change from religion to relationship to not that I have to do these things for God, but I want to do these things for him. And so when it comes to our free will and the choices that God puts before us, it's not that we're gonna get it right every single time, we're not. It doesn't matter how great you are in love with God and how much your motive's in the right place, we're all human, we're all flawed, we're all gonna make the wrong decision, but the great news is God continues to love us and when we understand that he has given us a free will, and that is something that we can do that brings him more glory every single day, more than the songs that we sing in here together, more than learning about his scripture, but the choices, the exercise of our free will to choose God's will instead of our own brings him more glory than anything else you can do. So we've got to understand that that free will that God has given us, just like Balaam in this story, he could have chosen to went along with God's will, but instead, he was in, his eyes were on somewhere else, right? He was enticed by what he was being offered, and he chose to do something else. And just like God cares about the motives of our heart and what we do, God cares about the choices that we make and the free will that he has given us to choose a life to follow after him. The next point is this. There may be signs along the way that we are living outside of God's will. There may be signs along the way that maybe we have made not a choice that's so lined up with God's will. We see this in the story so beautifully, right? Balaam asks, should I go? God says, no. Balaam asks again. He's like, you know what? You got free will. Go do it. So he goes and then he's like, now I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Strange story, right? And then this donkey sees it, runs off the path, crushes the guy's foot, then just flat up sits down. Balaam's so frustrated he is beating this donkey. Just a terrible situation but I think it sheds some light on something that's true for us. See, going through a bad situation doesn't automatically equal that you're outside of God's will. Matter of fact, Jesus himself told us that if you are following him, if you were living a life for Jesus, you are going to face persecution. You were gonna face hard times. He said, be certain that this life is full of difficulty. So going through something difficult, going through sorrow, going through grief, going through a difficult situation does not automatically equal I'm living outside of God's will. See, that's the legalism. That's the religion side of the equation. But the relationship side says, yes, sometimes there are consequences for our choices. And when we choose, and God's given us the freedom to choose, when we choose to live outside of God's will, when we choose to make decisions not in align line with the way God's asked us to live, sometimes there may be bumps along the road. Sometimes there may be some things that cause you to be really frustrated. Sometimes you might start asking yourself the question, like, what is going on in this relationship? Why is this happening in my career? Why is this going on in my household? It just seems like I, whatever it is, and sometimes those things happen along the way, and we have to have a little bit of discernment. Because if you catch this, Balaam didn't know what was going on until when? Until God opened up his eyes, and he could see, oh man, I'm not on the right path. And see, sometimes when those things happen, we need a little bit of discernment in our life, and that might look like someone who's a little wiser, a little further down a road than us. Maybe it looks like a small group leader or a pastor or, or a relative or a friend who you really trust who really has been living for God and has some experience under their belt. Maybe us spending some time praying about it or spending time some time in scripture and having our eyes open be like, man, I'm not exactly on the path I should be. Maybe that's why I'm facing this frustration over and over again because our eyes haven't been opened that we've been on the wrong path because we're outside of God's will. So there will be times When we make decisions that are not lined up with God's will, where we will face some difficulties. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've just been like me, and sometimes you've just been flat out in defiance and be like, I'm like Balaam here, right? Like, God, I know you said no, but I really want to do this. And God will accommodate your free will. And then you go and do it, and you're like, maybe you're like me, and I'm sometimes like, I really should have listened to God. My foot's getting crushed up against this wall. The donkey's bolting. I'm not getting where I was supposed to be. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm beating the donkey over and over again. And it's not even its fault. Some of the people in our relationships and our lives feel that way. Like, why are you giving me a hard time? Why are you angry at me? You're the one who's not listening to God. You're not the one who's being obedient, following God's will. There will be times that when we are living outside of God's will, there will be signs. We just have to begin to discern them. The last one is this, God's purposes will prevail. And I love this. See, from the very beginning, what did God tell Balaam? Don't go with them. You can't curse them. They can only be blessed. That's what God wanted to happen. That was his will. That's kind of what happens, but how does it get there? The story, Balaam asks again because he's offered more money, more prestigious people, goes anyway, donkey starts to talk, right? There's a guy with a sword wanting to kill them. He goes anyway, he gets there. And at the end of the day, what happens? Exactly what God wanted to happen. Exactly what God wanted to happen. So to me, this tells me that God's purpose will prevail. No matter what we do, no matter how much we screw up, no matter how we try to chase our dreams or our selfish desires or simply what we want, God's will will prevail in the end. Exactly what God said happened would happen because he said, this is my will, and no matter what you do in your free will, these people are only going to be blessed. Don't you love that? And for me, I learned this lesson years ago. I was driving in Memphis. I was going home. It was rush hour from work. And I was on the road, and I was supposed to catch this on-ramp that puts me on the highway that would take me one exit right to my house, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, no problem getting home. But what happens, maybe like me, you've done this before, I totally space out, I miss my on-ramp, and now I'm stuck, there's no way for me to turn around, there's no intersection to easy go around, there's no U-turn, I can't get on the interstate, and so now I'm stuck going a totally different way, using all back roads, and in that moment, I remember God speaking to me, saying, yeah, my will is like this. See, ultimately your destination is your house, your home, where you're supposed to go. But see, because you missed the ramp, because you missed my will, now you're going to still get there, but there's going to be a couple extra turns. You're going to pay the price by sitting in traffic a little longer. There might be a couple more traffic lights and left and right turns and jogs in the road to get you there, but ultimately God's will is going to prevail. See, God has said that he's going to build his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. That is God's will. He has told us that in his word. And whether we decide to come together as a church and reach people and do things that advance God's will and his kingdom, it's still gonna happen. See, God's will is that Jesus is gonna come back someday. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back for his bride, his church, and he's gonna take all the saints with him to heaven. See, that's God's will. And whether we decide to participate it or not, whether we decide to get on the ramp and go with them, them, or we go the hard way and just go the opposite way, maybe sometimes we're like U-turn and we're out of there, God's will is still going to prevail. That God is still going to get what he wants out of it. And so for me, that frees me up because a lot of times it can feel like, oh, if I make the wrong decision, if I make a mistake and I don't choose the right thing, or I, I miss that on-ramp, what am I gonna do? God's gonna be like, forget it, it's over, I can't use you, you're done, I hate you, I cut you off, you're dead to me. And that's, that's that religion side of it, Right? But the relationship saying, no, there might be consequences for missing the ramp. There might be consequences that you have to pay for being outside of God's will, but he's ultimately going to get you where he has destined you to be. And that to me is a relief because it takes the pressure off me being perfect and getting the choices right all the time. And some of us may be even here today and we've quit and we've thrown in the towel. We've said, you know what? I've made the wrong decision so many times that there's no way that I could possibly get back on track and to choose to be in the place that God called and designed me to be. And I want you to let you know today that no matter how many on-ramps you've missed, no matter how many wrong turns you have made, no matter how many U-turns you have done in your life, you could still get to the place that God has willed and designed for you to be. But for me, for our church I want to be on the other side of that. I want to be aligned with what God's will is. I want to build his kingdom. I want to put him first. I want to live just for my life and make myself insulated from all the troubles and worries of the world and make my life as comfortable as I can possibly make it. No, I want to do everything I can to align myself with God's will. Why? Because I have to? No, because I want to. Why? Because God first chose to love me. And because he loved me, I can love others And because he loved me, I can follow his will and lay down my life like he laid it down for me. So we're going to close with this today as the band comes. This question for us. What does it look like then to live within God's will? Maybe you're here today and you're like, Brian, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. But what does that even begin to look like? You're talking about on ramps, I don't even know the map, I don't got a GPS, like what am I supposed to be doing? How do I know if I'm in God's will or out of God's will? Like, right, I'm out here trying to make these decisions and what what do I do? And maybe I genuinely want to follow God's will, or I hear you, and I'm I'm hear you say the have to and the want to, and I really want to. Or maybe I'm not to that point where I want to, but I want to want to, right? I want to follow after God. I want to be in his will. How how do we do that? And today, I just want to really bring this all the way down. The challenge that I want to give us this week as a church and as individuals, is this. If you want to begin to live in God's will, because yeah, there's all those choices and we could talk about this for ages. How do I figure out what am I supposed to do? The decisions I'm supposed to make. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I be with them or this career path? Should I live here? All those big, important life decisions and questions or should I do this? Should I choose to forgive them? Or should I be in this relationship? Whatever it is, whatever the questions are, the things that we have to decide what is God's will for our life, I really think we can start by this. The greatest example that we have of what it looks like to be inside God's will is the example that Jesus has set for us. See, Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. And we see that Jesus was tempted. He paid, he, he also was presented with the Balaam test. The enemy threw everything at him. I mean, you can be the king of this world. You can have it all. Matter of fact, Jesus' own disciples thought that he came to get his agenda through. They're like, you came, Jesus. You're gonna, We're going to rock this out. You're going to take it over. You're going to be the king here. We're going to own this place. This is ours. And Jesus said, you know what? Nope. Because I didn't come to do my will. I didn't come to do my desires. And I guarantee you those desires were inside of him. I guarantee you when he faced those temptations, it wasn't an easy choice to be like, you know what? I could be a king here and live it up. Or... I can just face a brutal death, be whipped, and buried, you know, put on a cross. That seems like the better option. No, why? Because he chose to follow God's will. And so, the best example that we see it over and over again. So, the challenge for us is simply this: If you want to know how to begin to live in Jesus, live in God's will, read how Jesus lived his life. This week, pick a gospel. There's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four white guys in the New Testament, right? In the beginning of the New Testament, pick one. They're the story of Jesus. They each shine a little bit different life on Jesus's time here on earth. Just begin to read it. Begin to read it with the eyes of seeing how Jesus treated people. See how he interacted with people. See how he laid down his will and his desire and what he wanted instead to pursue God's will. See, there's all these big questions on what should we do, the life choices, how do we make this decision, where to go, who to be with, all those things. Start by seeing the example that Jesus led with his life. And then we will begin to understand what it looks like to be inside of God's will. I'm going to do that with you this week. Pick one. I challenge you. Just read through it. Read through a couple. Be an overachiever. Read all four. Whatever. Just start with one. Get that Bible app this week. Read a couple verses, a couple chapters each day. It's some of the best reading in the Bible. It doesn't get any more exciting than reading about Jesus, I promise you. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord. God, I know sometimes it can be difficult to hear this because sometimes we feel like we've maybe made the wrong decisions or like Balaam, our our motives might not have been in the right place. Or maybe, God, sometimes we just were in flat-out rebellion against you and we just did everything we could to get away from you. And God, maybe we're here today we've truly been trying to follow after you, doing our, our best to seek you and to live inside of your will. God, I just pray today, God, that our eyes and our hearts would be open and to understand, God, what motivates us, what makes us tick, The reason behind the what that we do, Lord, that it matters to you. And God, that you're not looking for us to go through the motions. You're not looking for us to check off boxes. But God, you are desperate to have relationship with us. God, And I thank you that you have given us free will to choose. That you didn't make us puppets. That you didn't make us subservient, obedient to only the things that you dictated us to do. But God, that you are a loving, gracious Father. God, that we can understand that it's not, oh, man, I messed up. Don't tell God. It's, oh, man, I messed up. I need to go to my Father. God, taking the pressure off of us, knowing that your will is going to be accomplished, even if we make the wrong decision. God, and we see that because you sent your son, Jesus. You wanted a relationship with us. We messed up. We sinned. We fell short. We did the screw up. We failed. And you still made a way for your will to come to pass of us having a relationship with you. God, I pray that this week as those who take this challenge begin to read those gospels, that that words would just jump off the page to them, that your word is a living word. God, I pray that you would speak to them, their eyes would be open, Father, even in their own life of how you are speaking to them, developing their character, their heart, their spirit, forming it, shaping it to be more like you, Jesus. God, that we find living in God's will by first becoming like Jesus. Today, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to give you the opportunity with your free will to make the best decision you could ever make. Maybe you're here today and you have yet to lay down your life. Maybe you hear us talking about free will and choices and living for God. And see, it's so easy to live this life for ourselves. It's so easy to be selfish and just try to figure it out or even just feeling helpless and trying to do it on our own or being like, I don't know why this is working out. I'm giving it my best shot, but it just leaves me in the dead end over and over again. I find myself in this cycle of the brokenness, of the fear, of the sin, of the shame, of the anger, of the anguish, of the brokenness, whatever it is, I want to let you know today that God is here, that he loves you, that he has a plan for your life. And no matter how much you've run, no matter how far you've been, that he wants more than anything to have relationship with you And he's had nothing but love and acceptance and forgiveness for you today. Maybe you're here today and at one time you would say, Brian, I I was pursuing God. I was trying to follow his will or I said yes to a relationship with him. And I don't know what happened. Maybe life just got busy. Maybe just things got crazy. Maybe at one time when you were young, you were falling after him and then high school and graduation and college and careers and it all just happens and it just takes so much of you and you fell away. Or maybe something happened where you were hurt or a tragedy or angry or God, something happened or something happened to someone you loved and you were like, how could a good God allow something this like this to happen? And it just hardened your heart and you began to turn away from him. And I want you to know today that there's nothing that you could do. There's nothing that you could say. There's nowhere that you could run further than the God that loves you, that cares for you, that wants his best for you. He wants nothing more to say, welcome home, my child. If that's you today in either one of those situations, I'm gonna ask you to do something while no one's looking around. Just simply raise your hand and say, Brian, would you pray with me as I make this decision or maybe recommit my life today to say yes to relationship with him? I see that hand. I see that hand, awesome. You can put it down. Anyone else? We're gonna pray together out loud so that no person has to pray alone. Would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for giving your life for me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we cheer for those who made a decision, best decision you could make? Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.